OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. I'm your host, Jeffrey Podvin. And today we want to welcome Eric Bullen. Thank you very much for joining us today, Eric. I'm super excited to chat with you today because I've been watching lots of video on you, lots of content. There's a lot of great things out there, and there's a few things that I really want to dive into. But the best way for us to start is if you can give us a little bit of a background on yourself, kind of where you've come from. And there is a long list of amazing startups, businesses all along the way. So love to learn more about that. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Okay, sounds good. Uh, hey, um, thanks for having me. Glad to be here, Jeffrey. Um, so yeah, I've been in the uh, the startup and corporate innovation space my entire career. I was employee number one at a startup back in the early 90s. This was back in the heyday of uh, when you could actually take P- components of PCs and sell them, right? So the days of Dell and, and, and so on. And we went up against Dell and Apple and, and, and CompuServe and others. Uh, so we sold to colleges, university students because everybody at that point needed um, computers, right? So both both you know the, the typical desktops these days, and then uh, eventually laptops as well. So I was employee number one. I I, I saw an ad for uh, a, an associate essentially um, at my fraternity, and um, <clears throat> long story short, I, I took a ten mile bike trip in the middle of um, which was a hot about a hundred degree day in Virginia. I went to William Mary. Uh, to go for my interview and for, with the founder and um, wore my the only suit I had and I had a beaten up bike and it went about ten miles and uh, eventually had the interview and walked into Lee's office who's the the co-founder and uh, the first thing he says is hey you look like you need a beer <laughs> so he goes to this whole fridge and his office is a typical startup founder office right it, it, it's messy and it, it's it's chaotic and so on so anyway. Um, uh, ended up uh, joining the company, <clears throat> really loved it. Um, Lee uh, Scruggs and I are still best friends to this day. Um, he's been my mentor for many years. We see each other usually um, non-COVID years, uh, once a year at least or twice a year. And uh, yeah, we've been been best friends since that time. So uh, that really started me on the journey of really loving to build things uh, and, and working for startups. Um, a, a number of reasons, uh, I did eventually end up uh, leaving the company and, and moving to uh, Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. Family reasons, I needed uh, to move there. I, I did work for a while for uh, SS Software Engineer, what's today Verizon. I used to be Bell Atlantic. Um, really didn't care for the corporate environment and then end up back at a startup, in this case, a, uh, a agency startup. And then uh, three months after joining, uh, went over to Amsterdam as the first employee to open up the Dutch office. Uh, so I spent time there. And um, this was during the heyday of the internet agencies. And uh, eventually, we were we uh, ended up being acquired with 12 other companies uh, with a, a, um, a PE-supported company and went public as well. Uh, and then subsequent to going public, um, a few about a year later, joined another co- startup in Amsterdam, uh, which was a U.S. company uh, and based in Boston uh, called Norvar. So uh, DNA of um, McKinsey, Accenture, and then also um, <clears throat> some uh, startups as well to really focus on what's kind of the precursor to design thinking to help companies to innovate, and, and um, whether it's large companies or startups as well. 
Um, so I joined the company to, to uh, grow the Dutch office and uh, eventually the internet crash happened and, and, up in, and that's how I ended up in Boston, where, where I am today. So, and, and we uh, went up to HQ, uh, continued to build the company, although we did close the, the, uh, the European side and then continued working with startups and corporate ventures as part of Norvar, uh, which was eventually acquired by another company. So went through a second acquisition at that point. Uh, so I just kind of fast forward through our career. Um, subsequent to that, I, I've been a, a founder. I've been a board member. I've, I've been an advisor for, for a number of different startups. Um, and then I also uh, a few years ago, I was the CEO of a uh, digital marketing SaaS startup. Uh, exited that in August 2018. Uh, and then at that point, for a number of reasons, including personal, my daughter at that point turned five. I said, look, I want to spend less time on the road. <laughs> and uh, I was a consultant for a while as well. So I spent a lot of time going from Boston to Seattle and back and forth for about a year or so. Um, I also worked for a company called Brightco, which is an online video provider, like global services there. So I was responsible globally for APAC in Europe and, and US. So I was um, on the road a lot. And uh, at that point in 2018, I said, look, I want to spend more time with my daughter, my family, and at the same time, spend more of a portfolio approach to things I do. Uh, so at the, so. Since that time and right now, I spend time really on three things. One is I um, give back to the community. I, I, I mentor at Techstars, Mass Challenge, and several other accelerators as well. Um, I'm also on the board of directors for an organization called Venture Capital. We provide venture capital training to uh, minorities and women to uh, find entry-level jobs into the VC world. I'm also on the board of uh, advisors for an organization called the Capital Network. Uh, which provides uh, fundraising training for all founders, but also specifically focused on female founders as well. And we have a program running right now. The uh, the second bucket of work that I do, I advise pre-seed, seed, stage companies directly and occasionally uh, scale-ups as well. Uh, either as an advisor or focus on product operations and, and scaling and customer success. Um, I also, on occasion, play fractional COO. So I'm, I'm currently fractional COO for two companies. One is Guidely, which is a marketplace for um, coaches, mentors, and therapists. And also BitHoop, which is a uh, next-generation search language for B2B. Um, and the third bucket is on the investing side, which I, I think part of what we're talking about today is I'm an LP in two funds, uh, Mendoza Ventures, which invests in uh, fintech, AI, and cybersecurity. Uh, based here in Boston, uh, but has a national scope and also in, has invested in companies in Canada, uh, both um, uh, owned by minority and, and women uh, as well. And about right now, I think about 68% of the investments of Mendoza is into underrepresented founder-like companies as well. Uh, and then uh, AI Capital, which invests in applied AI. Um, on the angel side, part of... Uh, a number of groups. Uh, one is uh, Launchpad Venture Group, which is based here in Boston, more of a traditional angel group, about 150 members right now, um, high net worth individuals, um, more of a traditional non-operator, um, I would say makeup, um, doctors, lawyers, etc., cetera, um, other professionals, some former operators as well. Uh, and then TBD Angels, which is fairly new, uh, just founded last year in April. Um, and up to this point already has 220 members. Uh, we're, we're somewhat biased towards Boston because the founders are based in Boston, including David Chang and some others who are serial founders. Um, but we're, we're national in scope. Um, we have a very diverse membership, about 38% women right now. 
uh, and we invest um, a pretty broad range of sectors. So we don't limit ourselves. We think we can get better deals and interesting deals, right, in terms of not limiting ourselves to some sectors or even geographies uh, that some angel groups look at. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at, at uh, pretty much anything. And, and as opposed to traditional angel groups, which tend to have a cycle of, hey, we'll look, take a look at three or four companies a month. Uh, we have continuous deal flow as well. And we're very technology enabled. So a lot of our communications done, email, Slack, et cetera. Uh, and um, all the pitches are video recorded. So members can look at them subsequent to that. And then uh, another feature of the group is we only invest if we can at least invest $50,000 by all members. And then we invest by SPV. So it's easier for the founders. Well, one line item on the cap table. Uh, so since the founding, um, have invested about $3.8 million so far. Uh, average deal about $100,000. I think the maximum deal so far has been about five hundred fifty into an AI company. So that's, yeah, that's um, hopefully uh, somewhat of a background of what I'm doing these days. Amazing. Uh, and before we dive into that one thing about you that nobody would know. Yeah, I'll give you two things. Um, so my, my history, I'm, I'm um, half German, half American. I was born in Germany, lived there for 12 years. My mom is German. My dad's American, although with English background. And uh, a few years ago, we did a, a, a trace back our ancestry on the English side. <coughs> Excuse me. And my, uh, my ancestry actually traces back to Anne Boleyn, who's the second wife of Henry VIII. And uh, so it's kind of, she lost her head. So <laughs> I tried my best not to, to, to see that, get that same fate. But uh, it was kind of an interesting family history on our side. So, um, but uh, Bullen, Bullen is it's been spelled, the name's been spelled many different ways throughout history. So, and then I'll, I'll give you the second one. Um, fun fact maybe is, is um, I love frozen Kit Kats. So if I, I can be bribed with those. So I, I get my Kit Kats and put them in the freezer and it's my, my tasty treat. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, my mother does that. I never, I, I like putting a lot of things in the freezer, but I'm not a chocolate bar guy, but um, the kids love them. So yeah. it uh, it certainly works uh, works very well. I, I guess that way they don't melt as fast, so they got a bigger crunch. Right. Sure do. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's awesome. Well, to kind of take a step back into your journey, you've done a lot of amazing things. And I think a lot of it starts with that first job that you bike the 10 miles to. Uh, how much of that do you think really played into where you are today? That the learning that you went through, being that first employee, the hands-on doing everything, that really kind of structured the learning throughout the way, the journey to get to 2015, where you decided, okay, I'm kind of done of doing all these things. I really want to give back and start investing in companies and start doing more in this space. But as most people, they don't just dive into it and say, "Hey, I'm going to be an investor today." Uh, they have some real gradual growth that gets them to there. And from all of the roles that you've played in, it, it seems like a lot of them built you into learning a lot about this, putting you in the forefront of how the investment works, what's the point of boards, what's the point of really how this structure is going to work out and benefit the startup. How much was that first role really beneficial to you? Yeah, I'd say it was a huge influence on on my my. It was my formative years in many ways. You know, when I went to university at, at William Mary, and um, I, I did have a, I did um, have a, I do have a degree in, in business as well as computer science, so it really fit within what what my degree my my, my studies were as well. Um, but it was my it was a nice complement to that the more the theoretical aspect of learning and then actually doing as well and. Uh, 
I, I will, you know, I'll always look back at some of the, you know, you have this little pieces of, of, of you know, the stories you kind of tell about, Nick, Nick, for instance, my interview, right? That's one thing. I, I kind of remember also Lee as a, as a mentor and as a coach and as the leader of the company, right? So, for instance, learning about how to deal with customers and the fact that there are bad customers and good customers and how to deal with them. And, uh, for instance, I had a um, an episode with, with one customer. I, I was having support and uh, there was some friction and the customer called Lee up later on and he was very unhappy about it, right? So Lee said, hey, you know what? Let's go take a walk. Let's talk about it, right? So it's almost like I'm, I'm drawing a line between that the kind of the walking and talking type, which you see more of these days versus having a meeting. Hey, let's just take a walk and talk about these things, right? And, and learn about it. So I learned a lot about from Lee about that, how to deal with customers. Um, and even some of the fun things, like we, we were, I mean, we're a scrappy startup, right? We had a, a beaten up van that we used to deliver computers to university students across the uh, the middle uh, middle of the country. Uh, well, uh, the, the, the Virginia, Maryland, and Carolina, essentially, right? So one day we were packing the van. Uh, Lee and I went back into the office uh, to get some additional things to start our trip to, I think it was Virginia Tech at that point. And next thing you know, we, we go back outside and this van is smoking. <laughs> the engine started like, like smoking, et cetera. I'm like, oh man, what are we going to do now? So the, the van was shot. So I had a small Hyundai hatchback, right? 90,000 miles. We packed everything into that Hyundai. And next thing you know, Lee's driving, you know, six hours to various colleges to deliver computers. So you get these, these types of uh, fun stories of, of what's, what it's like to, to have a startup and be scrappy and just make things work, right? And to, to work through your challenges. So, yeah, it was very formative. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it really uh, kind of lit the fire in me in terms of building things of, of also, um, you know, the, the, the startup world itself. And then, but at the same time, like I said, I, I've, I've spent time on the corporate end and really helping larger corporations to innovate and, and applying some of those lessons there. And at the same time, loving being able to go back to very early stage, you know, a few people in a garage, if you will, right, quote, unquote. And just started building things as well and kind of figuring out product market fit. Like, do we have something here that people will really love and we can build and grow as well? And taking that experience of um, getting into the grind and solving problems as they're happening, like the truck being on fire, it kind of reminds me of when my brother and I were building computers and servers in our basement as well. And it was, uh, we didn't know what we we're doing until we were in the thick of it. And you kind of sold beyond your means. You sold a lot of things to you. you were like, I don't even know if I can do this. And then as you started to grind through it, you started to find ways to operationalize it and, and speed up the process and get better and better until you could almost turn this into a cookie cutter operations. So as you were kind of going through these, were they throwing you into the mix of this? Uh, obviously, you're fixing by getting the delivery, but uh, you, you have a background in, in uh, software engineering and you're doing a lot of other things. So were you kind of a jack of all trades? So when it came down to learning about how the investment vehicle is coming through and are they raising funds? And then you went in and started being more innovative. Was that kind of started through that process or did you learn that as you kind of went through all these different companies? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a very early stage about, about having wearing many different hats with this particular company, right? And, and then, uh, you know, building computers, uh, doing, doing software, uh, sales and marketing. We had a retail arm. At the same time, we had an early stage of e-commerce as well, and we had a direct mail business. So I learned a lot about different aspects of running a business. Uh, and then at the same time, I think I, I kind of found my calling in terms of even today, 
Um, I don't consider myself like the, the amazingly creative Steve Jobs visionary, right? I'm more of the operator, right? I love to take build strategy, working with founders who are very visionary, and then building a strategy and then executing on that. So I, I kind of say my analogy sometimes is uh, being a producer in the music world, right? So you've got the creative bands and the, 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 the singers and, the, and so on, but you need a producer to kind of say, this is how we'll create this amazing song that everybody will love, right? And I can see the creativity there, but we need to create some structure around it. So that's more my thing at this point, even today. Um, but throughout my career, as I was working with, with different companies, um, I, I did spend time on various functions, right? Sales, marketing, operations, customer success, um, leading large teams, leading small teams, doing innovation strategies. So it's really given me a, an appreciation and understanding of various aspects of, of business, right? And, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not an expert at everything. So, so for instance, if you talk about, let's say, HR or finance and so on, I'll let other people do that, right? But in terms of generally going to market, building great teams, scaling companies, that's more of my thing. And how do you execute? How do you build certainty? How do you build structure, process, technology, and people around a small thing and then grow that, right? That, that's, my, that, that's why I, I think I've, I've been a CEO before. And I, I certainly enjoyed it, but I, right now, in this point in my life, I enjoy more being the COO. Uh, there's a wide definitions of COOs, right? I'd enjoy being the right-hand person to someone and say, okay, you're the visionary. Let's figure out how we built this thing and scale it and grow it. No, I love that because a lot of the times I think founders <laughs> or people that are in business, they think that because they have an idea that they have to be the CEO and they have to be the visionary and drive the business. And not everybody carries those skills. Not everybody is the front man. And I think, like you said, you've kind of built through all these skills. And what I love about it is that if you look at where am I going to be the most successful, taking the learnings that I've gathered, I would rather be that secondary person supporting them, knowing that in the back end, I'm running and operating and smoothly scaling this business for that visionary. Let them be the face of the of the organization, but I'm going to take this tool belt that I've built over the years where I know what triggers to push and pull that's going to help this business move. And that's what scaling is, and that's the whole uh, piece to it. And if you don't have somebody that actually understands all those mechanisms, then you're siloed and you've got marketing, sales, operations, and then it becomes kind of a bit of a cluster because you don't have that key component that understands all these different elements. You don't have to be a professional at all of them. You just need to have a good, solid base of understanding. And that's what's going to help support that line of business and grow it. Right. Yeah. And let me, let me just flip that too, because it's an interesting angle, right? In terms of the, put my investor back hat back on, right? In terms of what, what I look for in founders is founders who, one is they have conviction about the business, right? They really deeply, I love founders who deeply understand their, their sector or their industry. And they're essentially scratching their own itch. Um, one of the companies I'm invested in advising is called Focal Point. It's a procurement SaaS application, right? And, and the founder has been a procurement exec for more than 25 years. And uh, the problem he's solving is that that these large, major Fortune 500s and, and, and a lot of middle-level companies are managing billions of dollars to spend on spreadsheets and PowerPoints, right? And he, he has not been able to find a solution to do that. So a month prior to the pandemic last year, he said, look, I'm going to branch out on my own. I'm going to build the solution. Nine months later, he's in market with paying clients, right? That's a great story, but he really understands the problem that he's solving. And it's the problem that, that needs to be solved. 
Um, but uh, I think one thing, one quality I look for in founders is uh, kind of going back to what you were saying, right? Founders who understand their strengths or weaknesses, who have conviction, but at the same time understand, hey, am I the right person to lead this business? Are you as a founder building this business because it's your own ego, right? You, you want to build this business because it's about you or are you building this business because you want to solve this problem? And are you willing to step aside and say, you know what, this is my baby. I want this baby to grow. And I'm not necessarily the best person at this stage to do that. I'm going to bring in somebody else to help to do that, right? That, that's what I want to do. I want to create the best company out there, do the best thing for my clients, my customers, my investors. And it's okay that I'm not in charge. Right, so that that personal um, ability to understand your strengths and weaknesses and acknowledge that, I think that's really important for from an investor perspective to see in founders. I like that, and it's kind of interesting. And I, I don't remember who said this, but mm-hmm. there was this line where uh, the person posted and said, um, "I've never had an admin sister assistant longer than a year because they always drive harder, faster, and better than myself." And I'm always moving them up in the business. And what I like about that idea is that you're doing the same as that leader. And when you're looking for those leaders, and, and in my perspective, I always look for a leader that has that fifth gear. I want someone that has that one extra gear that just knows what it takes. I used to call it psychotic. Everybody told me that's the wrong word. So I've gone to the fifth gear. And what I think that fifth gear is that that's the visionary side. That's understanding the team. And if you can find that right team member, that COO or uh, that admin, whoever that person is that's going to just drive, build, and grow, then you're coaching. You're literally just sharing ideas. You're letting them operate it. And once they start to do that, you can kind of see their, you're elevating them. and Their game's elevating, and now they're taking over and running. And ideally, if they do this in the right way, and I'll use Flo as an example, um, when, uh, when Nicholas built the company, he got it to a point. Uh, where they were going public, and then they brought in an executive who was top tier from uh, Nestle, one of the obviously one of the world dominating water companies, and they came in and took it over. And he kind of just stepped in and became managing director side of it. But he saw that this vision was, I can get it to here, but I know that this is going to go further if I can bring these other people in and bring in the right operating people, bring in the right financial people. And then you become that driver. You're still the face, but at the end of the day, it's again not your ego, like you said. It's about understanding what everybody else's strengths are and letting the professionals really elevate their game by giving them the time and space to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just in terms of case studies, examples, right? I don't know if you heard about uh, Toast, a company that's based here in Boston, right? Just went public a few days ago. Massive, right? <laughs> um, a, a debut. And uh, Toast had a very similar stories where the founders initially built the company, built the technology and product. And they eventually brought on Chris Camparato, who has been the CEO so far, right? And really leading and scaling the company. And, and Chris is an awesome person, awesome leader. Uh, he's done some amazing things in terms of growing Toast and prior to that as well. But he was the right leader to put in at that right time, right? And, and you can see the outcome at this point. So, and I, I think they've, they've built a great team. They've got great chemistry as well as, as a leadership team. And it makes a big difference, you know, from all of the interviews we've done and all the discussions that, probably the number top two things that investors look for is team teams in there. It's always in the top two, maybe top five. If you're really diving in early, because early stage don't typically have a big team, but that's what you're looking for. So you got to be able to believe that that founder can really structure a lot of good people around them. And that's, what's going to make this all fly. So having you as that uh, fractional COO is probably massive for any company to have, because again, of that experience and how you can envision where this is going to go 
and then how you kind of shift everything in and taking your investor hat, taking your operations hat. Man, there's a lot of things that you're really bringing into that forefront that any leader would love to have, right? I would actually step down and just make it a CEO, just make it easier. But um, it, it really does make a big difference as, uh, as a business is growing to find those right people uh, that can get behind your vision. Yeah, and I think that just uh, again in terms of qualities um, that that um, if let's say you're a founder and in terms of building your team, right, you need to really find people who are player coaches, right? They can coach the team, that can bring in new talent, that can at least at the same time be able to grow the talent as well to help them be successful, and at the same time time dive in and do some of that their own, right? But the same, you know, again, be the player be the coach, but at the same time, being able to start delegating, not feeling like you're giving up ownership, right? And, and I think one, one, one thing that, that I, uh, I just recently discussed with another person is, you know, whatever you're delegating to another person or, or your team member, they're never going to do it, most, more than likely, never going to do it 100% the same as you want it to be done, right? But as long as you're doing, let's say, 85 to 90% of the time, you ought to be okay with that, Right. Um, of course, if you do it 10%, right, that, that, that's a problem, right? But you need to be able to say, you know what, it's not perfect exactly like I spend it to, but I still need to be able to delegate. I need to give some authority and autonomy to the person that's doing it. And you know what, sometimes they might do it better than you are, or you would, right? So you need to be able to empower those people and, and be able to grow your team and be able to give them, again, empower them, let them do their job that they've been hard to do. And, you know, again, it's... I look at myself personally, I'm not the best salesperson, right? I would want to hire somebody who's a hunter. I'm, I'm more of a farmer, right? Just looking at it historically. I'm not the best hunter, right? So for me, if I'm building a company, I want to hire a hunter who can go out and, and sell product, right? And, and, and build relationships with clients. So uh, you've got to understand your own strengths and weaknesses and acknowledge those. I love that. And, and I, I love the player coach mentality because it, right away, my brain went to slap shot. Um, Reggie Dunlop, he's the player coach. He's in there helping everybody, getting the game, winning. But uh, maybe not the best analogy, but he's still uh, the movie was still awesome. But you're, at the end of the day, you really are having to coach everybody. And I think that's where the CEO eventually has to go. They're the visionary, they're the mantelpiece, but really they're empowering everybody and growing them. And just like in the Toast um, scenario and Flow and all these other great companies, uh, even on our side, we've got Laura, who's a great GM. All of this comes down to is, the operational side of execution. And when you've got flawless execution, and like you said, if it's 90 or 100%, your business is going to be that much stronger and have a better ability to survive and grow in the markets. And then uh, you start to build on those other facets like sales and execution. But uh, it's uh, certainly crucial to any team. Right. So now kind of as you've been working through this amazing journey that you're on, uh, one of the things that I, I, I really loved about kind of that 2015 turnover uh, when your daughter was five and you decided I need to start doing something this so she can have a better uh, growth as a child and growing up and being able to get into better companies in the future, uh, you started to focus on uh, businesses that were giving back, impact businesses, uh, women founders. And I, I really love this because I think a lot of people talk the talk, but they don't actually ever get into the game of this. And one stat that you threw out right away at the beginning, and maybe you know or don't know, but you said 30% of this was women-based uh, investors, which is another one that's very tough to get out there and, and get women investing in companies or get this whole segment to open up. 
because there's the fear of the unknown. If I don't want to do it, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not going to venture into that space. And I think your numbers are already higher than most angel groups uh, because the industry has been predominantly male focused and they're ha- because of the high risk. But I love the fact that that is something that you've kind of dedicated your time to uh, with Mendoza and the other uh, venture firms with that high focus on it. How much have you seen change? And, and I think we could debate this one for days on how much uh, change that's happened in the markets in the last five years, specifically in innovation and tech, but even more in BIPOC and in uh, female founders. How much have you seen change since you started working in this uh, push in 2015 to today? Yeah, I, I would say that there's been over the past couple of years, right? I, I think there's been, and I would segment people or, or groups or organizations into two areas. Well, one is the ones that talk about it, right? And then two is the ones that talk about it and actually take action, right? And kind of put the money where the mouth is. So um, you can see both. I mean, for instance, that that latter one is the, like Mendoza Ventures, right? Very much focused on investing in underrepresented founders. Uh, there, there are a number of venture funds, uh, quite a few venture funds that have popped up recently, right? That really focus on that. And that, that's all they do, right? Um, that said, I, I think if you look at the overarching data, uh, at least over the past year and past quarters, uh, the amount of money that's been invested in the venture industry has been the highest that it's been for a long time, despite COVID, right? But then you look at the percentage share of money that goes to underrepresented and and uh, women founders, that has pretty much stayed flat, right? So that that's, you know, again, on one hand, you've got this anecdotal data about more focus on on that part of the, of the, the industry, of helping women and, and, and minorities. On the other hand, the data still isn't showing that that's actually making an influence on the, the, the total share pie, right, of, of the venture fund. So I think right now it's still about 3% total. So I, I wish that would change. Um, but what is encouraging is, is the focus, again, of these specific funds focused on underrepresented founders. Uh, also, underrepresented, I would say it's not just about women and minorities. It's also about other um, other geographies, right? So other than Silicon Valley, other than Boston, right? Other than um, Berlin, let's say in Europe, right? So uh, focusing on the middle of the country, Cleveland, Ohio, you know, in Ohio, Pittsburgh, et cetera. There's some great companies out there and great founders. They're just starving for funding to build the company. So I think with COVID-19, we have seen more venture funds and angel groups as well to focus on other areas because it's the future of work. You know, you can be anywhere. You don't have to be in Silicon Valley. You don't necessarily have to be in Boston. Um, there, I also see some groups or, and, and VCs that still say very strictly to, hey, you have to be here, right? We have to be able to see you. And then others were saying, you know, we don't care. Well, we'll start investing in companies, great companies and with great potential that are and other geographies, and, and, and potentially not just in the U.S., but also in Canada, right, and in, in, in Europe and in APAC as well. So you're starting to see, I think, more U.S. money going into other locations worldwide as well, which I think is very encouraging, too. The diversification of dollars being pushed across borders is, is pretty exciting. And you're right, there's been a massive amount of dollars that have popped out of nowhere. I don't know, the bank vault mm-hmm. must have been left open overnight or something, but it's been funneling out like crazy, which is great. Um, what I have noticed, though, is that through the messaging of talking about um, women founders or the, the BIPOC stance, I think what's what it's done is it it has filtered a lot of dollars into the space. But what it's also done is that it's opened up for 
minorities and women founders to actually decide to open businesses. Whereas I think before you had a very low number of actual people that were in that space. So it was predominantly, we'll say males, but that's because uh, in tech space, it predominantly is males coding or whatever, building these companies, engineers, whatever you may say it is. But today, I think what it's done is it's enlightened a lot more people to say, I can be in this space and now I've got support. And I think with that alone builds so much more confidence. And now we're seeing like 10 years ago, I would say it was less than 5% of founders were female. Today, you're probably looking at closer to 20, 25%. Um, They may not all be raising funds, but there's a lot more people getting out and risking. And I think that that message is massive. And I'm so happy that it's shifting that way. And I would say in the next 10 years, there'll probably be an equal balance. And then it's really, how do you get those dollars into those companies? And that just comes through building. So the more times you build and fail, you're going to build a a real amazing company on that second or third time. And you're going to get all the support you possibly need. And you can see that there's some massive female-run companies. Uh, even in the BIPOC space. Um, uh, some people say they don't like that term, but um, I guess it tries to cover and encompass everything. But I think from that minority standpoint, you're seeing some amazing... There was a company the other day that launched on the um, on the markets. It was an Indian-based company that was launched in the US. Uh, so amazing. And it's taken off. So there's a lot more happening. And I think that, that, that COVID created a lot of this. It's created a lot of energy and it's opened up a lot more entrepreneurs coming into the market. And I think we'll start to see a lot more dollars shifting into that space because there's some pretty amazing companies that are getting started up in the last uh, year and a half as well. Yeah. And I think the other angle here is um, in terms of additional money going into this this market, right, about by, into private companies is crowdfunding, right? And you really see, I, I would say you look back, let's say two or three years, right, as crowdfunding was starting to grow. Uh, you know, occasionally it kind of had mixed messages, right? Hey, is a company going onto a crowdfunding platform because they can't get venture capital or angel investment, right? So, but I think that that whole mindset has shifted, especially over the past, let's say, six months. And crowdfunding is exploding right now. And you're starting to see more and more companies that are raising both through the traditional channels, angel and VC, and then in parallel are raising on crowdfunding platforms as well. So, for instance, I'm actually a, a venture partner at Republic, right? So, we, we're really focused on Again, diversity of, of capital inflow, of increasing the, the the share of investors, especially those that are not the high net worth investors. And then at the same time, uh, being able to provide capital to the underrepresented founders as well. So that's, it's one reason why I joined as a VP at, at Republic is because of the Republic's mission, right, of democratizing investing, essentially. Um, so we, we've seen a lot. You've seen, for instance, this was kind of a one-off deal with Republic, but Backstage Capital, which is a venture capital firm, uh, actually raised in Republic, right? And was able to raise in two rounds, right? First with uh, the, um, because the, uh, the the rules changed. First, they could raise a million dollars, roughly about a million dollars, a little bit more in change. Uh, and then eventually raised the second one and they could raise up to $5 million, right? And they were essentially oversubscribed within a few days. So I think we'll, we'll start seeing more of that as well, um, where I, I think they might, you know, funds may, might start raising through the crowd as well, right? In addition to just the more traditional channels with high net worth individuals and family offices and so on. I love the decentralizing of that for sure. We've been looking at it. Um, we've actually been working on a partnership with one of the uh, Canadian based so that when our companies that we bring to market, they will go in both places when they're raising funds. Uh, we look at this as just another avenue to bring on new fans, new investors. And, and you kind of have to look at every dollar as a vehicle into a new customer or into uh, a new investor. And, and I think it's 
uh, a wrong to look at it that it's just where you can't raise money. But you're right. When it first started, that's what it was looked at is that you're just going to go to, to take and pillage money from people that don't uh, don't specifically have a lot. And you're going to take it from them because you couldn't raise it through the venture side. But I think what that's done is it's equaled the playing field that you're now not looking at because you have money that you should know how to pick a good company. That's nothing to do with that. It, it, there's so much more involved in this stage. And I think a lot more people just like um, betting on pro line or anything like that, it, it takes time to learn, figure it out and become good at it. And I think that's the same thing with uh, uh, going into all of these SPVs and going into these other venture spaces is that anybody can do it. Everybody should have the right to do it. And once you do get in there and start playing with it, you eat your own risk and uh, you can win. And, and at the same time, you can lose. So you have to value how you want to approach that. Right. Absolutely. So the uh, so now that this market's really picked up and changed so much, it's exciting because nowadays, you know, you're getting so much. We've got companies coming from Africa, all over the world. There's just so many players that are now coming to the space. It's opened up globally uh, for all parties. Uh, what's in what's next for you guys with on the investment side? Do you start going cross border? Do you keep kind of feeding inside of the U.S.? Uh, what kind of things are interesting you today? Yeah, I think for um, so I'll probably look at uh, the different groups I'm involved with, right? So uh, let's say TBD Angels, um, which uh, again we're not uh, focused on any particular sectors, but we definitely have uh, members that are interested in, in subsectors such as you know cannabis, for instance, right? Or, or more of the non-traditional side that some venture funds or angels may not want to touch. Um, so we we're definitely looking at that. We're, we're definitely looking at national uh, reach right now in the U.S. Um, in terms of going international, I, I can't say for certain uh, because there there's certain uh, benefits for investing in U.S. companies for angel investors, uh, tax benefits, et cetera, versus um, investing in companies that are um, outside of the U.S. as well. And let's say you, you lose your money, right? You can, you can write things off here in, in the U.S. There are tax reasons, right, essentially. Um, but I, I think that doesn't mean that that there's a number of angels who aren't willing to go look at Canada or South America or, or Europe or other places as well, right? So we're, we're starting to see companies that are actually a company I, I'm just in, in discussions with right now that's uh, a healthcare company based in Berlin uh, that's now flipping to um, to the U.S. They're going to have a, Del- a Delaware right entity. Um, they'll have an office here in Boston, and they'll continue having engineering and production in Germany, and then sales and marketing in the U.S. So I think we'll start seeing more of that as well. Uh, there's certainly, uh, uh, given the U.S. market and the investment in startups here, I think we'll, we'll continue seeing an inflow of companies in Europe or Asia who are saying, hey, you know, great to have the business here, but we need to have a U.S. entity as well. Right to to attract U.S. investors, so I think we'll start seeing more of that. And I think the the company mentioned uh, Fresh, I think it was Freshworks, right, which was went public recently. And I think similar there, right, heavy India based, but then also U.S. entity as well, and going public in the U.S. Agreed. Being successful yeah. doing that. So, yeah, no, for sure. That's a, and that's a. Uh, I think that's a great segue for this globalization for companies to realize that there's a lot of opportunities. Um, and the U.S. seems to be always in the mix of your uh, global opportunities. So it's something to always keep in mind when you are uh, looking for venture capital is that, uh, you know, starting in the U.S. or at least finishing somewhere in the U.S. is going to be beneficial to your business. Right. So as uh, you know, I think that's been an amazing journey you're on and, and you've worked with a lot of startups. You're part of a lot of different groups. I kind of want to we're going to transition into uh, more of the rapid fire questions in a second. But before we do that, I've got one kind of. 
uh, question that I, I want to get your heartfelt moment of uh, what it takes to be an entrepreneur, and it could be a personal story as you have many of them, is that, you know, what does it take to be an entrepreneur? And has there been one that just pops in your head that just blows you away that you thought this business, that she or he didn't have a chance to survive, uh, they pitched you or you invested, and then all of a sudden, you know, they just, out of the blue, COVID hit, you thought that was it, and then boom, they turned it around and, uh, you know, today they're uh, running on the NASDAQ. Is there is there some kind of great story that you see that might be worth uh, sharing out to the audience? Yeah, I mean, maybe not NASDAQ yet, but um, a, a company that I'm invested in and it's been advising for several years, since actually 2018, it's been, uh, it's called Reapply. And what we do is we provide, uh, we have a SaaS platform. We, we take video of youth sports, baseball, and softball and provide that to players, coaches, and parents. And if you think through... Right, I mean, pre-COVID, right? And what we do is we have relationships with tournament providers and facilities that have these major tournaments year-round, and especially in the south of, of the U.S. Um, but this is these this is youth sports, and parents are absolutely passionate, right? And, and this is actually helping their kids get into college and playing baseball in college. So they pay thousands of dollars to go to these tournaments. That includes you know, the clothing, the equipment, you know, the, 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 the travel to the, the, the sports uh, place as well. And we have relationships with these facilities to actually, it's a, both a hardware and a software place. We have the SaaS platform. We have the cameras uh, as well to take the video. And then we'll ingest the video. And we're actually using machine learning to start assigning you know, numbers and cutting the plays and so on and being able to provide individual plays to those, those players. Um, everything was fine pre-COVID, right? And we had this three-year roadmap in terms of eventually automating things, right? And by design, we actually were very hands-on. So we hired this temporary labor to operate the cameras, to ingest the video, to do all the manual work to eventually automate things. Um, and then uh, COVID hit, right? <laughs> you know, tournaments shut down. So what do you do, right? So um, we were actually um, lucky in that we had investment from uh, both Launchpad Renter Group, which I'm part of, and some other angels to at least keep us alive. Uh, and then also figure out what are we doing at this point? So um, a few good things. Justin Reels, the founder and CEO, former baseball player. And again, going back to your question of, you know, founder grit and, and conviction, right? Justin's mentality is, look, if I'm a baseball player and I go up to bat, most of the time I'm going to strike out. Right? So it, yeah, I, I, I can't let that weigh on me, right? And he's got the same mentality in terms of building a startup. He's going to strike out a lot, whether it's sales, whether it's things going wrong and so on. He's going to figure out a way to work it, right? And figure out a way through the the, the problems that he's facing and solve those problems. So um, he's been a fantastic entrepreneur to work with. And um, given COVID-19, he's accelerated the business. He's accelerated automation. Um, he's built relationships with uh, the MLB and, and, and college sports and other technology companies that provide sports-related technologies during COVID-19. And now he's coming out, as we're coming out of COVID-19, he's turned as a startup and he's positioned really well to grow and, and scale the business. And uh, he's been all over the country the, the past three, four months as things have scaled, as, as tournaments have opened up. He's got the relationships lined up. He's got a new board member who's really well connected in the sports industry. So it, it's one of those stories where you could have said that this company was very close to dying, right? And, I mean, literally, I, I was on the call with Justin. And he said, Look, we've got cash left for about a month. What are we doing, right? So, you know, what should I do? Should I kind of not do this trip to Wisconsin because it's going to cost me $2,000 and, 
and and some additional hotel costs. But if I do that, I might be able to build relationships with these providers and potential investors, right? So we just kind of bet the farm and say, go out to Wisconsin, right? Bet it all, and and we'll see what comes out of it. And it's worked out well. We're not at Nasdaq yet, right? But um, we're looking to raise a Series A beginning of the year. So. Uh, it's been a fantastic story, I think, uh, in terms of resilience, grit, and just grinding through it and figuring out ways to make it work, right, despite the challenges. I love it. Yeah, life is a challenge. And if you can't yeah. figure out how to work around it, then you've got fail. And these guys obviously looked at it and said, you know what, there's so much opportunity here. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the little coach and the push to go all in and, and make their way to Wisconsin. So that's pretty cool. Great yeah. story. Um, all right, we're going to jump into the rapid fire questions now. Are you ready? These will be the business ones, so pick one or the other. All right. And we've got lots, but we'll go through them real quick. All right. Founder or co-founder? For my, for myself? Is that the question? Yeah. What would you pick? Yeah, what would you go with? Founder or co-founder? Co-founder. Uni- unicorn or four-year, ten, n- ten times exit? Uh, four-year, ten exit. Tech or CPG? Tech. Brand or tech? Tech. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second or third time founder? Second or third time. First money in or Series A? First money in. Angel or VC? Angel. Board seat or observer? Board seat. Safe or convertible note? Either. I'll get safe. Lead or follow? Follow. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? Uh, not just the money, but also working with founders and helping coaching and guide them and, and helping them scale. Perfect. Number of companies invested per year? Uh, approximately six to seven. Brilliant. Any preferred terms? Mm, uh, no. I mean, I mean, I, he, Yes, uh, it's got to be a win-win for both sides, for both the investors and the founders. Okay. Any verticals that you really like getting into? Uh, B2B SaaS um, and then applied AI as well. And then the third part, I would say what are considered generational uh, tracks, right? You know, tackling problems for millennials or the aging population and so on. So those three areas, my thing. Okay. I like the uh, aging population one. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, what what two things do you see or look for that should stand out in in a startup that will make you invest? Two things that will make you invest in a standout startup. Yeah, um, the team, uh, the, the founder and co-founder um, of them being coachable uh, and having conviction and really understanding deeply the industry. Right, so be having product um, more than founder market fit. Right. That's one number one. Two is um, really having a problem that's worth solving and uh, be having being able to execute. I think it's less about the idea; it's more about the ability to execute. Uh, ideas are worth a dozen, and, and you know that there's so many times where we see startups pitching and saying we're the only ones who knew who are solving this problem, and you Google it, and within five seconds you have twenty other startups that are doing the same thing, right? So um, it's definitely people who understand their industry. It's really important. Agreed. Uh, favorite book? Oh, sorry. We're going to go on to personal questions now. Yeah. Favorite book? 
Oh, favorite book. Um, well, how about, I'll give you two, right? So um, a book I'm reading right now, um, I'll show you this one. Actually, the cover's off, but Startup CXL. Okay. By Matt Bloomberg, um, who is, um, and I actually work for his uh, company called Bolster. So we provide fractional CXO services. So highly recommend it. It's a good field guide. Um, just came out about uh, three weeks ago. So, um, and his name is Matt. What's it, Matt? Matt, Matt Bloomberg. So Bloomberg, he's, okay. uh, yep. And um, yes, highly recommend the book. I'm just finishing that. Um, if you're a, a dad um, of a daughter, highly recommend uh Rubber girls. There's my daughter. So say hi. So she's uh, hello. Yeah, it, it's a good book about uh, women um, entrepreneurs, heroes, etc. Throughout history. So she loves the book. I read it to her every night. It's called Rubber Girl. Rubber girls, right? Okay, Rubber Girl. Uh, so okay, <laughs> mostly every night. So okay, oh, that's cool. All right. Um, I'll, uh, I'm going to pull this up. I'm having edit. She's giving me editorial comments here right now. So perfect. She can help coach along. That works so great. Um, all right. More rapid fire on the personal side. Book or movie? Uh, book. Superman or Batman? Batman. Batman. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? Ice cream bar. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Bezos. Arsenal or Manchester United? Oh. Manchester. Ah, I will find an Arsenal fan. I okay. will find an Arsenal fan. Bike or rollerblades? Bike. Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Ooh, chicken big, Nuggets. Big Mac for me. All right. All right. Trophy <laughs> or money? Uh, money. Money. <laughs> I like that. Beer or wine? Wine. Alarm clock or mobile phone? Oh, mobile, mobile phone. phone. Yep. Hotel or hostel? Hostel. Ah, you're the best. First one. Yes. Hospital. Yeah. Hospital. Like no, that. hostel. That's different than a hospital. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't want the hospital. No. Uh, king, king or rich? Oh, um, rich. Rich. Concert so or amusement park? Concert. Amusement Fortune park. cookie or birthday cake? Birthday cake. Is life boring without Trump? <laughs> it's better. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Oh, Favorite sports team? Favorite sports team? Go ahead. Sports team. Oh, favorite sports team. Uh, Patriots. Uh, I'll give you two. Patriots uh, football and then soccer. Very Bremen in, uh, in Germany. Soccer team. Yes. Oh, very good. Cool. Yeah. Um, First brand that pops into your mind right now? Coca-Cola. Nike. Nice. Nike. All right. Most famous person that pops in your mind right now? Einstein. Frankie. No, that's your cat. <laughs> uh, Albert Einstein. <laughs> the sort of person. Oh, the cat's good. I like that. That's, right. uh, that's good. Um, all right. Uh, what is your favorite movie and what character would you play? Oh, uh, favorite movie, Indiana Jones, the uh, first one. Hmm. And, and I, would, I, would, I would play Harrison Ford's character, Indiana Jones, uh, yeah. I just watched that whole series like literally four right. months ago. So Harry Potter. I actually didn't realize I didn't watch the last one. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. What is your superpower? Um, make hugs. hugs. Torturing my cat. <laughs> 
Okay, hugs to the desert. Uh, for me, it's uh, creating certainty from uncertainty. I know you. Creating certainty from uncertainty. I like that one, but I'm going with hugs. That's better. Yes. Hugs um, all right, that's perfect. Brilliant. Uh, well, Eric, I want to say thank you very much. Uh, sorry, what's your daughter's name? What's your name? Sydney. 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 Well, Eric, it was a pleasure speaking with you and Sydney. I want to thank you very much for all your time today, sharing the journey, sharing the questions and the answers. Thank you very much for that. The way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to say to uh, investors or to startup, um, I turn it over to you. But thank you again for sharing everything today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Jeffrey. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was I really enjoyed being on. Um, so in terms of the last word, you know, I, I think the um, I work with a lot of early stage founders and um, who are either the first time on the journey or or the second or third time. I think no matter uh, what 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 part of the journey you're in, um, you know, it, it's an exciting time. It's been an exciting time for starting things up, uh, in, especially with COVID nineteen hitting last year. The, the first few months, no one knew what was going to happen. I think that. Um, as we're coming out of this, uh, you know, there's a lot of good coming out of it, right? A lot of innovation, a lot of excitement in terms of where we can go po post COVID-19. Uh, I think there's a, a huge amount of opportunity. I think part of what the pandemic has done is really accelerated certain sectors as well, which is really exciting. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in fintech, a lot of exciting stuff happening in healthcare and life sciences as well. Things that have ex really accelerated e-commerce as well. Uh, so there's so much opportunity. Um, you know, if you have the opportunity to to start something up and find a really meaningful problem to solve it, do it and um, go after it. Have the conviction, um, have the grit to, to to do it, and and give it a shot. Right? It's an exciting time, and and uh, starting something up and building something is exciting. I love it. Well said. And you're right. Get out there and make it happen. You've yeah. got one life, so you might as well start today. So. Uh, build a great company and uh, there's lots of people out there that are going to want to jump in and help you out so eric again brilliant thank you very much for all your time today you too sydney and uh we're going to leave it at that but thank you very much thanks jeffrey take care uh, that was awesome i uh, really enjoyed the conversation and I, I just love the journey that um that eric went on and just kind of the learning that you take when you really get into that early stage company and being that um just like um, getting in and being that first employee into a company that's a startup, the learning that you gather from raising funds, the things that you got to fix, new problems and being dedicated and focused. I just think that's phenomenal. And I really enjoyed that he had such a uh, creative journey on learning all the way through and, and being able to then jump into uh, investing, but then going into the impact side and really trying to make a difference. Uh, and helping minority founders as well as uh, female founders raise dollars and, and build their companies. So kudos, uh, Eric, for uh, an amazing um, career and being able to give back and help out and uh, doing a lot of great things. And, and I, some of the things that uh, you kind of mentioned that they kind of really stand out, of course, was um, the, uh, the Reggie Dunlop with the player coach side is that when you're going to get in there, uh, find people from it can really help you uh, grow your business and find that um, clutch second, third person that's going to support you in your business. I think it makes a big difference, um, that COO role, and just help them grow and help them support and build your company. So uh, big fan. Again, thank you very much, Eric. Uh, brilliant, you said. And, uh, and of course, thank you uh, for having your daughter jump in. That was great, too. Um, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com. And for other startup events, please visit us at opn.ninja. Thank you and have a fantastic day.